0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me as we grow together in Proverbs chapter 16. We're coming to the end of the chapter. Proverbs 16, we're looking at some villains here. Looking at some villains in verses 27 through 30. Some people like villains more than they like heroes in some movies. Celebrate the villains in, uh, in different ways. They try calling them the anti-hero, which means, no, it's a villain that you're rooting for. And uh, I think Hollywood likes doing those kind of things. Yes, sir. Proverbs chapter 16. Yep, Proverbs chapter 16. And we're starting with verse 27. And then uh, we're looking at 27, 28, 29, and 30. A worthless man digs up evil, while his words are like scorching fire. So this is the first of the four villains that we're going to look at, and and this one starts with ish, uh, which is man. So we have a, a, a man of worthlessness, a, a man of belial, a worthless man. And then in verse twenty-eight, a perverse man. It's another verse that starts with ish, but it's an ish, a man of perversities or perversions, and perversions is plural. Uh, Most perverts aren't single action perverts. (laughs) Most perverts have a multiplicity of their perversions because one will lead to the next, will lead to the next, will lead to the next. And each one is darker and darker. And that's the way that life goes. Then we have another ish in verse 39. An ish of violence. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. So we have ish, ish, ish. And then Verse thirty, which I count as the fourth villain. Um, some people don't because it's it's a different poetic structure and it doesn't, or it's a different Hebrew syntax. It doesn't have the ish beginning, but it's the eye winker, the wicked winker. He who winks his eyes does so to devise perverse things. He who compresses his lips brings evil to pass. And so, really, the change of language. Having the ish, 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 and then changing into a non-ish structure is is really it's a way to show that this this section is coming to a close. It's wrapping it up and it's it's tying it together. And so that's how we're going to handle it in uh, in this. So verses twenty seven through thirty. All right. Before we get started, let's ask our Father's faithfulness to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our hearts. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father we thank You for the truth of Your Word and the blessing we have to study to show ourselves approved. And Father um, we have a difficult study this morning. It's not pleasant to look at these characters and I know brothers and sisters that would rather not pay attention to these characters, Father. We've got enough wicked people all around us we can see them every day, we work with them, we live next to them. Uh, Father, no shortage of belials everywhere we turn. Why do we want to Study this in the scriptures, well, because Father, you've given it to us, and uh, these things are written for our instruction, and we want to learn, and we want to grow, we want to be ri- wise not only in the things of the Lord, but also wise in the things of the adversary, so we can be shrewd as serpents yet harmless as doves. So, Father, we uh, we want to learn to uh, to uh, to be wise. Open our eyes this morning, Father. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. And so, really, this is point nine in the outline. If I get my slide show synchronized with where we are, verse point nine: four villains are portrayed and exposed by the wisdom of God, and God's wisdom lays it out, exposes it for what it is, and we want to learn from this. This warning echoes the parental wisdom warning given in chapter six, and so you know, occasionally you you encounter folks in adult capacity, you know, and you realize, oh wow. Uh, you know, mom warned me about those kind of girls, right? Or my dad warned me about those kind of those kind of men. And so, the warnings you get as a child, that is a part of your upbringing in parental wisdom, comes back again in your adult capacity and uh, gets featured again. So, the warning that we have in Proverbs six comes back now in Proverbs sixteen. And so, let's uh, let's turn over to Proverbs six just briefly and remind ourselves of this. Proverbs six verses twelve through fifteen. In the middle of a chapter that has so much practical uh, exhortation on the part of parents to their children. And uh, for example, uh, being in debt, you know, you're told, run, get out of it, deliver yourself. Uh, My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor and have given a pledge for a stranger, if you've been ensnared with the words of your mouth and been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Get out of it. Escape it as quick as you can. Break whatever you have to break. Get out from under those unhealthy uh, bonds. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle. So those early chapters are all or those early verses uh, exhorting children to not to have financial wisdom in that verse 6 go to the ant sluggard and observe her ways and be wise and so the admonition against laziness is here in uh, along with many other places throughout proverbs then uh, you get to where that section goes from 6 through 11 you get this little sing song that Shows up a few times in proverbs, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. You know this is the very first snooze alarm ever invented in the history of alarm clocks and and where you just hit snooze, hit snooze, hit snooze, five more minutes, five more minutes, and the next thing you know, of course you're you didn't really want to work anyway, so that's a good thing. uh verse twelve then this next section, a worthless person that's our belial we're looking at today, a Belial. okay. And understand, this gets harsh. Some of the language is, is harsh. Some of it's vulgar. And sometimes these terms get used in a profane way, right? When we talk about a Belial or a son of a Belial. And we've got uh, some, some vulgar expressions, some some profanity if you, that we call that we don't. but Or maybe we do, I don't know. But people do use those kind of languages, uh, those terms, calling other people these kind of things. You son of a you know, and and it's it's vulgar, uh, but it comes from this, and it has a root. It has a um, a source in a very important biblical principle that we want to we want to glean this morning, and so I'm not teaching you how to swear biblically. I'm teaching you how to think biblically, so that you have the appropriate attitude. That, is, uh, that doesn't resort to the vulgarities that, that the world turns to, if that makes sense. Alright, so again, Proverbs 6.12 a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet. And we're going to talk about those winks and those pursed lips and the, the other signals that happen when you're getting your, your uh, other people in on your violence, in on your, on your actions. Points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife; therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly. He will be broken, and there will be no healing. All right. So that was the passage in chapter six, and in Proverbs six, it was the exhortation of parents to children to be on guard and to to uh, to look out for these kind of people. Now, in Proverbs sixteen. It's in a different section of the book of Proverbs. This now is centered on our personal and public wisdom. Now in adult capacity it's the same warning because the same villains are out there. The same villains that your parents were warning you about back in the day. Now uh, you've got to be on guard yourself and uh, not get mixed up with this. And then probably by this stage of life you've got your own children at this point that you're going to be passing that on to and, and trying to warn the next generation to uh, To be on guard against these people. All right, so that is the backdrop. There, the first of these four villains then is is the man of Belial, and uh, this is what I want to look at today. I want to look at this one and the next one. We'll see how far we get with it. But the man of Belial. It's the Ish, Beli Yatnau. Is what it, how it's phrased there in the Hebrew, Ish, Beli Yatnau. And I think we know. Um, we don't necessarily have to turn there, right? But if you know the creation story in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and how Adam was alone, he named all the animals and he didn't have a partner, he didn't have a a helper suitable for him. That, uh, you know, you name all the animals and you spot they got this male-female thing going on and that's their correspondence and, and you're looking around saying, where's mine, right? And God said, all right, here you go. And he gave him the woman. He took the rib out and gave him the woman and so he named her he named her Isha because she was taken out of Ish. She was taken out of man, out of Ish. So if you think about that story with Ish and Isha, that'll help you remember. And what we have here in, verse, in Proverbs 16, verse 27, 28, 29, each of those verses starts with Ish. Ish, Ish, Ish. A man of worthlessness, a man of perversions, a man of violence or destruction. right, And these are the terms that that, uh, we're going to be studying here today and next week, and I don't know how long it'll take us as we work our way through this. right, Man of Belial, is among the worst characters portrayed anywhere in the Old Testament. uh, This is like the pinnacle of of perversion, is the man of Belial. It even comes into the New Testament actually as uh, as Jesus speaks to this and gets accused of different things. Um, so we've already looked at Proverbs 16.27, that's our text today. We already glanced back to, uh, to Proverbs 6 and verse 12, we saw that a moment ago. So let's uh, take a look at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 13. And we'll see the, uh, the first usage and we'll see some of the early developments here related to this. Deuteronomy 13.13 13. remember Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law, Deuteronomy is the restatement of the law for the second generation because the Exodus generation uh, is going die, to dies in the wilderness, they don't get to enter the land and after their, their years of wandering now everyone that was over 20 is now dead and it's that next generation that's able to go into the land. And so in reviewing the expectations uh, obviously idolatry is going to be a problem and uh, so the chapter begins with this as the exhortation against idolatry. And then um, other enticements that will happen. So I don't want to read the whole chapter here, but you'll notice um, some of the people seducing you, some of the people trying to lead you into idolatry are going to be your own religious leaders. Okay? So you've got to deal with that. Don't listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. And uh, don't follow the idolatry because you are a redeemed people. That's the point that's being made here. That's verse 5. That prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God. Now just because he's a prophet it's no excuse and he's not uh, immune to divine discipline. Pastors are not immune to divine discipline. If they're teaching false doctrine, they're teaching false doctrine. Get rid of them. And then family members. But notice, uh, the Lord your God, in verse 5, who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. If you are a redeemed person then there are expectations. And we are all redeemed. We're redeemed from our sins. Jesus saved us, redeemed us from our sins so there are expectations now that we're going to walk in a manner pleasing to our Redeemer. And look out for the seduction, as it says here, to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. And that's what it comes down to. We are a redeemed people and we should be walking that way. It's not that we're legalists or we're goody-tushes or we're better than those bad, bad sinners. No, we're we're bad, bad sinners just like them. It's just we're saved by grace. And so we want to walk in grace and we want to serve the Lord in all that we do. All right, what happens if your family gets caught up in this? Verse six: If your brother, your mother's son, or your son or daughter or wife, who you cherish, or your friend, who is your, as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, "Let us go and serve other gods," that's a problem. If they're going to lead you out of Bible class, lead you out of church, get you out of your Christian walk, you want nothing to do with that. See, because you are a redeemed people, serving the Lord, and um, you know this is. <laughs> This is why the inhabitants of the land were being removed, so that God could give the land to Israel. They were being removed because of their idolatry, their wickedness. Verse eight: You shall not yield to him or listen to him. Your eye shall not pity him, nor shall you spare or conceal him. That's a hard verse right there, because a lot of times, you know, we're, we don't go so far as to actively participate with what they're doing, but we cover for them or we make excuses or we we let it slide cuz they're doing it. Well, wait a minute. Why are you letting it slide? Why are you covering for them? Why are you concealing their iniquity? You shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death. Understand that when Jesus said let your let you know cast the first stone, he's using a biblical principle here that the you're the first hand against the uh, idolaters, even if it's a family member. All right, I know where I'm headed, I'm headed to verse 13. (laughs) I haven't lost my place. But this sits in a context here, this is Deuteronomy 13 and we're headed for verse 13. This This is set in a chapter, in a context where Israel, the Jewish people, the redeemed people are being brought into their land, being brought into their nation. And this is how they have to function as a society. So it's directly applicable to where we are in Proverbs, dealing with personal and public wisdom. How you're going to conduct yourself as an American, as a Texan, as as an Austinite, or wherever you live. And and how you conduct yourself in the community with wisdom. So, this chapter is important. All right. He tried to seduce you from the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Um, All right, verse 12. If you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God is giving you to live in, anyone, saying that some worthless men have gone out from among you and have seduced the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods whom you have not known. Then you shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly. So understand what's happening here, that you get a report and the report is about these belials. It's the same Hebrew word, the word is belial. And so you get a report that some Belials have gone out from among you. So what does that tell you? They're your beliles. <laughs> okay? You are your brother's keeper. They came from you. okay? They came from you. And for Israel, for the Jews in the Old Testament, that means from your tribe, from your clan, from your family, from your house. Right? Depending on where they came from. But they came from you, from your cities, from your territory. So uh, that's, that's what's being stressed here. So it's one of your cities. As the land gets divided, you can't say, well, you know, that's, that's, that's Austin. I live in Jollyville. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> All right. So, okay, that's Austin. You live in Jollyville. So that might not be your family, but it's still your clan. It's still your tribe. And it's definitely, you know, it's, it's the greater Austin area, so that's, that's definitely your clan. You, you're accountable. The wickedness of Austin, you are associated based upon where you live and for us today, of course, this is Austin Bible Church, right? What's our accountability? So here comes the report, these belials have gone out from among you and they have seduced the inhabitants of their city. So that's even worse. They're promoting idolatry and they came from you from your tribe, from your family, from your clan. And so you are sanctioning what they're doing. Think about that. Think about the, the, the sanctioning or at least the report. Oh, you know, well you know those believers over there at Austin Bible Church, man they, you know, do you know what those guys do over there? And think about the reputation, think about the slander, think about the, and, and you want to make sure it's slander, which means Satan is accusing you of things that are not true. But if it, what if it is true? That's even worse. See, that's even worse. And, and, and it happens. And Satan would love to do that and say, oh, well, you know, you know Pastor Bob, he lets, he lets all this sin happen. He promotes all this sin. And you want to go to that church because you know they, they do all this sin. Or you don't want to go to that church because they do all this sin. Depending on what they're trying to do in their their slander. All right, so you shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly. Notice that in verse 14. It doesn't say ignore it, it doesn't say it's not your problem anymore because they left, they're not from you, I mean they're from you but they're gone now. It says investigate. You're the investigator because you're the source. Your family, your clan, your tribe investigate, search out and inquire thoroughly. If it is true and the matter established that this abomination has been done among you, well now you're the accountable party, your family, your your clan, your tribe. You shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, its cattle with the edge of the sword. Find it at its source. If we were biblical, if we were smart, if we were not so politically correct our nation would find all of these mosques that are preaching jihad and root them out. But if we start doing that now, we get labeled as haters and Islamophobes and and whatever. There are mosques in this town preaching jihad. Are we investigating them? Are we rooting them out? Are we stopping them? We should be. For the sake of our own citizens. All right. Strike the inhabitants of the city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, and all that is in it is cattle. With the edge of the sword, and what do the cattle ever do? Why, you know, what's wrong with a cow? <laughs> you know, they might have long, glorious careers in front of them and doing Chick Fil A commercials or something. The cow didn't do anything wrong. Well, you don't want. Here's the thing, you want it to be such a destruction, it's haram, it's it's devoted to the Lord, it's destructed. You don't want to claim, because cattle is wealth, you don't want to claim the wealth for yourself that belonged to a tribe or belonged to a clan or belonged to a, a, a city that was destroyed for its idolatry. You don't want that kind of wealth. So, kill the cattle. All right. Then you shall gather all its booty into the middle of its open square, and burn the city and all its booty with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. All right? Do we know what booty is? We know what booty is, right? It's plunder, it's loot, it's the, you know, to the victor go the spoils. Not in this case, okay? The booty goes in a pile. Alright, we're good on that. Years ago I had a, Carmen struggled with that word. It's not native to her German, and so she, <laughs> I had to explain booty. Because there's other kinds of booty that we talk about in English, and that's that's not this. All right. So here are these characters, and this is just the introduction. This is just Deuteronomy 13. Okay, leading people into idolatry and wickedness and abandoning the Lord God, and it's the Belials that are doing it. Okay, Judges 19. There's another unpleasant chapter. Judges 19. All right. It came about in those days when there was no king in Israel. This is how the chapter begins. It came about in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim who took a concubine for himself from Bethlehem in Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him and she went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah and was there for a period of four months. And uh like I say, this is a this is an ugly chapter, but um her husband arose and went after her to speak tenderly to her in order to bring her back, taking with him his servants and a pair of donkeys. So she brought him into her father's house, and when the girl's father saw him, he was glad to meet him. His father in law, the girl's father, detained him, remained with him three days, so they ate and drank and lodged there. And on the fourth day they got up early in the morning. Am I gonna end up reading this whole chapter? Um, alright well there's a backstory to this let's just let that go um, the ugliness comes up, the belials make their appearance in verse 22 and so I think to explain verse 22 I guess we'll just pick up with verse 16, no verse 10 <laughs> alright fine I'll read the whole chapter, no We'll, we'll limit it here. So traveling, visiting a strange place, being brought in for shelter, being brought in for uh, hospitality and protection. Um, and then some real ugliness that happens. Let's look at verse 16. "...an old man was coming in out of the field from the work uh, from his work at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was staying in Gabeah, But the men of the place were Benjamites. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city." And the old man said, where are you going and where do you come from? And he said, we're passing from Bethlehem in Judah to the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim for I am from there. And I went to Bethlehem in Judah, but I'm now going to my house and no man will take me into his house. Yet there is both straw and fodder for our donkeys and also bread and wine for me, your maidservant, and the young man who is with your servants. There is no lack of anything. The old man said, peace to you, only let me take care of all your needs. However, do not spend the night in the open square. This is a town you don't want to be in the open square, and because uh, this is where the belows are roaming, right? The gangbangers are roaming the streets, as we would say today. So he took him into his house, gave the donkeys fodder, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. All right. Now this man, by the way, if if the chapter ended here, we would like this guy, right? We would like this guy, but. There's, there's more belials in this town besides the ones roaming the streets. The ones that are barricaded in their houses are no better. Okay, And you can have a belial that's out on the streets and you can have a belial behind a gated community. And you probably do. All right. Brought them into the house, gave the donkeys fodder, they washed their feet, ate and drank. And while they were celebrating, behold, the men of the city, certain belials, worthless fellows, Surrounded the house, pounding the door, and they spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, bring out the man who came into your house that we may have relations with him. Homosexual rape is what this is about. And the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said to them, no, my fellows, please do not act so wickedly. Don't, that's the verb for the noun of belial. Anyway, don't be Belial's. This man has come into my house. Do not commit this act of folly. Here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Please let me bring them out that you may ravish them and do to them whatever you wish. But do not commit such an act of folly against this man. Okay? This is horrible. I mean, he's offering his daughter, he's offering the man's concubine um, and uh, I mean what's that? You know? And, and, and is that, I say we do the same thing not literally of course, but we find solutions to problems that are no more biblical than the problems themselves. And yet we feel better about it. We do the same thing. If we come up with a solution that's not a biblical solution, what are we really doing with something that's going on that we don't like? We're doing the same thing. This is is an ugly chapter. All right, so there's the belows. And uh, The the Belial's outside the house and the Belial inside the house. All right. And so I'll let you read the rest of the chapter if you like. It gets gets uglier. Almost to the point now where an entire tribe is on the verge of extermination. This is nearly the end of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay? And that, too, I think is significant because it helps to reinforce the, the accountability that we have one to another. We are our brother's keeper in terms of clan, family, tribe, and so forth, then the body of Christ, is centers on this lampstand. We are a lampstand, that means we are brethren, we are brothers and sisters in in Christ. And you better believe that as, as a pastor and as deacons and as elders in this church, we have this care one for another. That's analogous, comparable to the tribal, family, and clan circumstances of ancient Israel. All right. Anyway, so there's other things that happened there. We'll let that go. Uh chapter twenty and verse thirteen. And um or verse twelve, the tribes of Israel sent men through the entire tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has taken place among you? So uh, and it's we can even back up here because they're they're gonna deny certain things and they'll admit certain things. Um Let's look at Judges chapter 20 and start reading in verse 8. All the people arose as one man saying not one of us will go to his tent nor will any of us return to his house. But now this is the thing which we, which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot and we will take ten men out of a hundred throughout the tribes of Israel and a hundred out of a thousand and a thousand out of ten thousand to supply food for the people that when they come to Gibeah of Benjamin they may punish them "...for all the disgraceful acts that they have committed in Israel. Thus all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united as one man. And the tribes of Israel sent men through the entire tribe of Benjamin saying, what is this wickedness that has taken place among you? That's what Belial is, worthlessness and wickedness. Now then, deliver up the men, these Belials in Gibeah, and we may put them to death and remove this wickedness from Israel... But the sons of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the sons of Israel. You know, think about the compromises you make. You know, you know they're guilty. You know they've sinned. But they're yours. It's your daughter. It's your son. It's your cousin. It's your, you know. And so, yes, they're worthy of death, but we're not going to let you do that. Because they're ours. Wait a minute. And uh, so they wouldn't listen. So the sons of Benjamin gathered from the cities of Gibeah to go out to battle against the sons of Israel. How do you think one tribe is going to do against 11 other tribes? Okay. Yeah, that's not going to go well, right? That's not going to go well. And uh, and it doesn't. In fact it it so depopulates the men in fact it's uh, it leads to an issue here and they're going to have to find Wives for the survivors, but all right, we'll let the rest of that go. There's there's Belials and some of these ugly, ugly chapters. Let's go over to First Samuel chapter two. But isn't it interesting how even Belials will have their defenders? Belials will have their defenders, their apologists, their defend. The people will make excuses for them. It happens in politics all the time. You get caught red-handed in some kind of a scandal, and and the defenders will rally around them and say, "Well, no." You know they they didn't do that or it's okay they they can stay in office or, or they just they defend who they defend because they they well it's one of us they get very tribal and and right or wrong is irrelevant when it's tribal and that's uh, that's unfortunate right and and Amer- Americans can do the same thing one of my ancestors was famous and uh, for his quote you know my country right or wrong well no if my country is wrong my country is wrong. Don't say right or wrong. Anyway, um, where am I going? First Samuel chapter two. The pastor's kid, of course, is exempt from many of this because pastors' children always turn out better than other children. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay. Here is, uh, you know, here's Eli. And his boys are a train wreck. So this is not good. And First uh, Samuel 2 and verse 12 uh, the sons of Eli were belials worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Remember in Levitical priesthood you could be the high priest and not even be saved. You just had to be the son of, of the last high priest. And uh, the custom of the priest with the people, when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. So basically using his position to take the best meat, the best food. And notice he's not even participating in the animal ritual and the sacrifice. He's not doing the worship. He's not doing the, you know, it's like you you skip church, you just show up for the potluck. You know? (laughs) What are you doing? And then you go to the front of the line because you're the pastor's son. And uh, you just scarf down all the food and then you leave. And uh, here's what they're doing. Sleeping with the women and uh, it just gets ugly. Anyway, and so then Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy. And uh, Eli actually had, I think he was able to have fellowship with Samuel in a way that he couldn't even have with his with his boys. They were They were just belows in what they were doing there. All right, over to chapter 25. And it's unfortunate that Samuel saw that in his childhood and then Samuel later, his own boys were worse than Eli's boys. And that's, uh, I think God holds you accountable for the things He teaches you and then when you don't make the application the, the discipline compounds. For Samuel 25 Abigail's husband Nabal He's a Belial, and he's going to abuse David and David's men. And Abigail knows that's a problem, and so um, she's going to she's going to speak up here. So when uh, Nabal's going to abuse David and his men, then one of the young men told Abigail, as verse fourteen, Nabal's wife. Saying, "Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us. We were not insulted, nor did we miss anything, as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. You know, I think this is the classic Robin Hood story. This is where, you know, this is the real truth, the history. Uh, you get bandits out there in Sherwood Forest and whatever, and they're looking out for the common people. They're looking out for the the regular citizens, and and those those shepherds were protected." They had the safest flocks ever because David and his men were, were in the proximity keeping the real bad guys away. They were a wall to us both by night and by day. All the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you should do for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household and he is such a belial that no one can speak to him. That's the uh, That's the expression there. And, uh, and notice Abigail doesn't go to the Belial; she goes to David. She goes to the man of God. And uh, she's going to intercede there. And uh, down to um, verse 25. So verse 23, When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. On me alone be the blame. And she goes to David, the anointed of God, and she offers herself as the kinsman redeemer. She offers herself as the penal substitutionary sacrifice. In other words, he's a Belial, yes, but take his sin and impute it to my account and I will accept judgment. She's she's becoming a type of Christ. She's becoming a a, a kinsman redeemer at this point. On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And that gets through. That hits David like, like nothing else. He's, he's ready to go and wipe out an entire clan because of the insult and she is rescuing him. She's, a lot of times this gets taught like she's rescuing her husband. She's actually rescuing David in this chapter. So, on me alone my Lord be the blame and please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this belial. Nabal, for as his name is Nabal means foolish, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. If she had seen the messengers, they'd had a different reception. Not uh, the way that Nabal treated him. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood. See, she knows she got through to him. She knows that David is going to respond to her, her offer as a kinsman redeemer as the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood, from avenging yourself by your own hand. Now David hasn't spoken yet. She's still in the midst of her monologue here. But she is so convinced that the Spirit of God has gotten through to David that David has been rescued. The Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as navel. And let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. Remember, she now needs forgiveness because she's offered herself as the substitute. And so now not only does, does David have to be satisfied, he has to be propitiated, satisfied by the substitute, he then has to forgive her and restore her. So she's asking for this forgiveness. Alright. Anyway, it's a beautiful chapter and it has a happier ending than those chapters we were looking at in Judges because um, Nabal's going to drop dead and then David will marry Abigail as far as that goes. Alright. So there's more Belial's there. 2 Samuel 20. And uh, Sheba's revolt. A worthless fellow happened to be there. And um, this is early. Let's see. David's restored as a king. He lost his throne. Absalom had taken the throne, David gets his throne back and then um, then this Belial named Sheba comes along. A worthless fellow happened to be there whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew the trumpet and said, we have no portion in David, no inheritance in the sons of Jesse, every man to his tent, so Israel. And it's like he wants to bring back a Benjamite dynasty which they had under Saul um, Anyway, he's a Belial and he rebels, and this uh, gets dealt with there. That's 2 Samuel chapter 20. Finally, 1 Kings 21, the last of these. 1 Kings 21. Ahab and Jezebel. Remember these guys? (laughs) All right. So now we fast forward in time a couple hundred years. Now we're in the divided kingdom. There's a northern kingdom of Israel, there's a southern kingdom of Judah and uh, Ahab and Jezebel are in the north. And um, there's a plot of land that Ahab wants. It's going to be good for his vineyard. And uh, the problem is is Naboth owns it and doesn't want to sell it. Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. That's his allotment, that's his that's his uh, tribe and clan and family. That's his household allotment. So Ahab was vexed. And Jezebel said, why are you jack- Why are you vexed? You're the king. Take it. Might makes right. Do what you want to do. And uh, here's what you're going to do. Uh, verse 7, I thought you were the king. <laughs> Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now reign over Israel? I thought you were the king. Arise, eat bread, let your heart be joyful, I'll give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. So she goes from belittling him to then using him. And uh, writes letters in his name to the elders, the nobles who were living with Naboth. She wrote the letters saying Proclaim a fast, seat Naboth at the head of the people, and seat two Belials before him. Let them testify against him, saying You cursed God and the king, and then they shall take him out and stone him to death. Here we go. We'll just trump up a charge against him and execute him as an idolater and then we're good. So the men of the city did that. The men of the city, the elders, the nobles who lived in the city did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as was written in the letters which had sent them. You know? How would you respond? I wouldn't know what to do. If I got a letter like that, you know, find a couple of belows and... I don't know. Well, okay, I do. I know some. But I don't want to know some. I don't want to know any belials. I don't want to have any handy, readily available. But they did. So they proclaimed a fast, a Seated Naboth at the head of the people, and these two belials came in and sat before him. And the belial testified against him. And, uh, and so guilty, put him to death, confiscate his land. That's the chapter there. All right. So those are the characters; those are the villains described in this way. There's also some non-character illustrations, some depersonalized expressions. That that they when they show up, it's curious. They show up in some interesting messianic prophecies. And so, Second uh, Samuel twenty-two, which is repeated in Psalm eighteen. Let's just grab. Psalm 18 while we're at it. 2 Samuel 22 is the same as Psalm 18. There's some spelling differences and some slight wording adjustments but effectively it's the same information. So I'm going to go to Psalm 18 and let's look at these Messianic prophecies in the Psalms as David is writing these. For the choir director, a Psalm of David the servant of the Lord who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And so this is uh, you know upon the death of Saul and his, his safety and is uh, not yet crowned king I don't think, but on the day that he was delivered. This is his worship. And he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Remember God saves your soul from sin but He also saves you from different dangers and different trials in uh, in temporal life. The cords of death encompassed me. Torrents of ungodliness terrified me. And the, the cords of death encompassed me. Some of this is words that Jesus will repeat on the cross. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of Belial terrified me. And so here's a messianic prophecy. David is describing the danger he was under when, when Saul was trying to hunt him down, when Saul was trying to, you know, Saul was hunting David like we were hunting Bin Laden. We were hunting a terrorist to put him to death. And Saul was hunting David to put him to death. And so when he says the cords of death encompassed me, torrents of Belial terrified me. And what do you think he was really afraid of? Why was David terrified? Uh, To me it's curious um, he talks about the Lord being his refuge, talks about him being secure, talks about salvation after the fact. But at the time when you're faced with it and when you're terrified, what are you terrified of? Do you think he was terrified of getting killed? Or was he terrified of surrendering? Was he terrified of abdicating the throne? Was he, was he terrified of joining with the Belial's? Remember, everywhere David went, when he joined the Philistines at one point, became their captain. He joined uh, some of these other renegades and became their captain. He could have joined Saul in his Belial mindset and maybe saved his life that way. I think that's what he was afraid of. Terrified. You know, when, uh, when Peter said I'll never, I'll never forsake you Lord, I won't deny you, and he denies him three times that same night. You know, at least David had the humility to, and the fear of the Lord to say, I could do that. And it terrified him. That he could join with those belials. Anyway, it's a it's a depersonalized expression but it does appear here in this messianic prophecy. So he said um, that he has not even though um, they had terrified him. Cords of shale surrounded me, snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, I cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Remember there was no temple. Not an earthly temple. David wasn't allowed to build a temple. Solomon would build a temple after David was dead. But there's a heavenly temple. The heavenly reality that Jesus went and cleansed after His crucifixion. And this is what David interacts with so often when he is uh, in fellowship with the Lord and Occupied with that heavenly temple. All right, Psalm 41. Verse 6 says, Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Hebrews renders this, a body you have prepared for me. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. This is all messianic. Jesus is the fulfillment of this, but David is voicing it in his in his generation. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. You're right, I'm reading the wrong psalm, thank you. I'm reading Psalm 40. I should be reading Psalm 41. Thank you. All right. And so here's uh, Betrayal. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The the Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive and he shall be called blessed upon the earth. Do not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness you restore him to health. All right, verse 5, my enemies speak evil against me. When will he die and his name perish? They're just rubbing their hands waiting any day now. And when he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. He acts like a friend, but he's betraying me. His heart gathers wickedness to itself. When he goes outside, he tells it. (laughs) So he's saying one thing in the room, and then he goes out and says, all right, let's go kill him now. This is Judas Iscariot ready to betray the Christ. All who hate me whisper together against me, against me they devise my hurt, saying a wicked thing is poured out upon him that when he lies down, he will not rise up again. And that wicked thing poured out upon him is the the Belial. The Belial. In a Messianic prophecy. Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. So David experienced this betrayal and in David's day it was Ahithophel. It was Bathsheba's grandfather, it was Ahithophel. In Jesus' day of course it's Judas Iscariot. And uh, who ate my bread? Jesus said we dipped together in the in the bowl. He ate my bread, he has lifted up his heel against me. So the Beli language is used in this messianic prophecy. Psalm 101 and verse 3. Psalm 101 is the inauguration message for Jesus in his messianic kingdom. It was it was David's governmental policy. It's going to be Jesus' governmental policy. I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. Remember in the Old Testament when a king became king, what was the first thing he had to do when he took office? Do you know? He gets He becomes the new king and on day one what was he expected to do? he had to write out for himself his own copy of the law. So, you know, try doing that sometime. Get a stack of, of notebook paper and a pen and then write out for yourself your own copy of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just write it out for yourself. Help, figure out how long that takes, okay? And realize that's your first order of business as the new king of Israel. So David did. Um, Jesus, what's He going to do in the Millennial Kingdom? All right, This is His governmental policy. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. This is our Belial language. I will set no Belial before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. You know what's worse than unbelievers? apostate believers, apostate believers, they become Belials. They're saved by grace through faith but then they abandon the Word of God and these Belials that leave teaching. David said he hated it. Prophetically Jesus says he hates it. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. Because realize they want to take you with them. They don't just want to leave the church by themselves. They want to take as many people with them as they can. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. You know, who does the president choose to be in his cabinet? Who does the governor choose to be on his staff? Who does Jesus Christ choose to be in his administration in the millennium when he sits on David's throne in Jerusalem? But he who practices deceit shall not dwell in my house. If he finds one of his government officials lying, he's gone. You're out of here. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. Each morning, order of business number one, morning by morning in Jerusalem in the Millennial Kingdom is to cut off the wicked. there you have it. Anyway, so Belial is used in that. Belial is the Old Testament basis for the New Testament son of perdition. Belial, son of perdition, that's the Greek way of expressing worthlessness, the son of worthlessness, the son of destruction. So John 17 and verse 12, here's Jesus. And he's praying for all of his disciples. But one of them, Judas Iscariot, is called a Belial, is called a son of destruction. John 17, 12. Jesus in his high priestly prayer, praying for his disciples. Verse 12 he says, while I was with them I was keeping them in your name which you have given me and I guarded them and not one of them perished but the son of perdition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. For three and a half years Jesus Christ put up with a belial among his twelve disciples. That's extraordinary. And then the only other place that word occurs in the New Testament is Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Antichrist. Antichrist is coming. He's on his way. Hopefully the church gets raptured today and then after that Antichrist can be revealed. We won't be here to see it. With respect to, uh, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that's the rapture in verse 1. We request of you brethren with regard to the rapture. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our epipsyagogue are gathering together to him that you not be quickly shaken from your composure, be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So concerning the rapture, don't be concerned if someone tells you you're in the tribulation you can't be in the tribulation. day of the Lord is the tribulation in the millennium. Let no one in any way deceive you, for the tribulation cannot come unless the departure comes first. That's the rapture from verse 1, the departure in verse 3. Usually it's rendered apostasy in English, just cross off apostasy. It's departure. So the, the day of the Lord can't come until the departure comes first. And then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Here's our perdition destruction worthlessness belial belial is the old testament basis for the new testament son of perdition he is a man of lawlessness worthlessness the belial the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of god displaying himself as being god And that can't happen today for two reasons. First of all, the church is still here, so He's restrained and He can't be revealed. The day of the Lord can't come until the departure comes first. But then secondly and practically, He's going to take His seat in the temple of God and there's no temple yet. On the Temple Mount in Jerusalem there's a mosque sitting there. So something has to happen where that mosque falls down or gets knocked down or somehow blows up. The Jews are ready to build their third temple. And they're going to build their third temple. Any day now they're ready to build their third temple. They have all the furnishings, they have all the priestly garments, they have all the, everything is ready to go. They've got all the building material from foundation to roof and everything in between. They can start building tomorrow. The problem is there's a mosque on the temple mount. So how does this happen? (laughs) How do the Jews build their third temple without launching World War III? Because, believe me, the whole Muslim world would lose its collective mind if uh, the Jews knocked down that mosque to put up a Jewish temple. See? But we know it's going to happen somehow. It's going to happen. Because God's Word promised that there would be a temple. In fact, Antichrist will make a treaty guaranteeing a seven-year agreement and he's going to betray it halfway through. He's going to put an end to their sacrifices. Because he's going to demand worship himself. Worship me, I'm your God. Worship me. That's what he's going to do. Going to take his seat in the holy of holies, before Jesus can take his own seat. All right. And so we have it there. Next week we're going to come back and we'll look at Man of Perversities, Ish Tapukoth, Ish Tapukoth. And every time I say Tapukoth, I think Paducah, like Paducah, Kentucky. And that's just wrong. So I'm going to apologize to anyone from Paducah, Kentucky. I'm sure it's a nice town, but Ish Tapukoth is the man of perversities, and these multiplied perversities. That's our second villain. So we got the man of Bilah, we got the man of perversities, and uh, we'll work our way through next week. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your truth. And Father. There are passages that are not pleasant to, to, to study or stories that are not pleasant to read through, but we need to learn these things, Father. And um, it's not pleasant for You to, uh, to deal with them, to take all of this sin and ugliness and lay it on Your Son to judge Your Son so that we could have eternal life. Father, thank You that our Son was willing, Your Son was willing to be our Savior, That He was willing to stand before you and accept your wrath, to accept our guilt as Abigail was willing to accept it from David. Jesus was willing to accept it from you. And I thank you because He died we can have eternal life. Father thank You for teaching us what we need to learn. Open our eyes to these belials. We have belials in our life, Father. What are we supposed to do with them? How do we deal with them? How do we protect ourselves from them? Don't let us make excuses for them. Don't let us defend them. Don't let us protect them from the consequences of their own sin. We can't lessen it, we can't mitigate it, we can't make it better. They are in rebellion against You and they will reap what they've sown. And if we side with them, Father we're lining ourselves up for Your wrath. We want to side with truth. So Father thank You for teaching us these lessons. We thank You in Christ's name. Amen.